Support for WPR comes from Focus on Energy, a statewide program partnering with utilities to bring energy efficiency and renewable energy solutions to Wisconsin businesses. Details at FocusOnEnergy.com. Support for WPR comes from Explore Monroe County, from the Elroy Sparta Bicycle Trail to the Warren's Cranberry Festival, featuring artist booths and cranberry marsh tours. More at ExploreMonroeCounty.org. More than you know. From Buck Studio at Wisconsin Public Radio, this is Zorba Pastor on your health. I'm Carl Christensen, filling in for Tom Clark, and I'm here with family doc Zorba Pastor. We'll spend the next hour with you in our virtual doctor's office. Zorba, we're actually missing the children's play area with the worn-out yeah, toys. Right. Exactly. That guy exactly. in the corner coughing right. into his right. hanky. Exactly. We're missing all that stuff. But yeah. it's, and it's, all the 10-year-old magazines. There you go, yeah. See? Come on. <laughs> with old headlines. Come on. Well, we don't have that, but we will talk healthy living. We'll walk through a healthy recipe. We'll get to some of your emails and some of your phone calls as well. So if you have a question for the good doc, the number to call anytime is 800 800- 462-7413. That's 1-800-462-7413. And along with those calls, we'll discuss a few healthy living topics, Zorba. Right. So we're going to talk about medical cannabis, what we can use, how it's used to curb pain, what are the benefits, uh, really how it affects things, especially with people who are on opioids. Really, there there is a difference. And where does it fit into regime if you have chronic pain? And then we're going to also talk about the use of AI when you you're actually asking questions about your health. Where's that going to fit into things? And I look at AI and chat GPT, right? right? GPT. I'm looking at things as a similar way to what we now use as Google to do lots of searches. And AI is going to become a medical assistant for you. So we'll talk a little bit about that. Fascinating stuff. And what is our special recipe today? Cobb salad wraps. I happen to know a lot about Cobb salad. I've read about it. We'll talk about it. And we'll talk about how good those wraps Sounds great. All right, to the phones we go at 800-462-7413. And our first caller joins us today from Toma, Wisconsin. Hi. Hi. Thank you for taking my call. I have a 20-year-old son. He works out, mostly does weights five to six times a week. Mm-hmm. He sweats a lot. Mm-hmm. He has back acne. He's been dealing with this since his football days in high school, probably since a sophomore in college, probably puberty. Mm-hmm. He uses Paula's Choice. It's a product I found. It has psilocytic acid. Uh-huh. Salicylic acid. Sal acid. Uh-huh. Yes. And he uses Serva Bay as moisturizer. Uh-huh. In the past, he was prescribed benzoyl peroxide Accutane. Okay. Wait, benzoyl peroxide, mm-hmm. and he also, he took Accutane, the pills, Accutane? Okay. Went through that whole cycle of Accutane. How old was he when he got the Accutane, by the way? He was 17. 17. Got it. Okay. Yes. He he doesn't like to take the pills, sure. uh, doctor, right. because it, he says he it affects his liver. Well, first of all, Accutane is really good, and Accutane has lots of side effects. A lot of people are bothered because it makes their mouth very dry. They get chapped lips, uh, and and there are other things. It does affect cholesterol. It uh, temporarily can affect the liver, but the liver recovers from it. So the the answer is yes, there are significant side effects from the drug. And there are especially side effects for women. Women cannot take Accutane unless they're on a very definite form of birth control. It's a very important issue. But but for guys, of course, it becomes a different issue. Um, did his acne get better after the Accutane? It didn't. It didn't. He, he tells me that in the summertime it clears up, mm-hmm. but when the fall and the winter, right. um, it comes back, and maybe because the skin is oilier. Right, right. That's, that, that's common, and that happens. So uh, if he got Accutane, he got it from a dermatologist, Right. Yes. Yeah. Uh-huh. Well, yes. I've got some ideas. So first of all, there are other prescription topical medications that he can get short of Accutane. So there are topical antibiotics, for instance, that go on the skin. Uh, clindamycin on the skin works really, really well as a topical antibiotic, only by prescription. Then you've got the other standards, which are Retin-A, 
which is very standard, and it's an anti-keratolytic, a drug, uh, you know, a topical thing that goes on your face. So there are other things that he can try short of Accutane that he can get from his family doc or the dermatologist. And if he's bothered by the acne, I highly recommend he look at these things and to try all of these things before that. And then there are other standbys such as oral antibiotics, doxycycline, an antibiotic that you can take twice a day for like three to six months, and that can often work. So there are a lot of other things that he can do prior to taking Accutane that may make a difference. And I would highly recommend you talk to his family doc, you know, talk to the dermatologist and try these other things. Because a young guy that age, he really wants to get that, really wants to get that uh, acne under control. Yes, he does. Yeah, you can okay. do, you can encourage yeah. him to do it. He doesn't have to take the Accutane again. There's other stuff in in the toolbox. Okay, and I constantly get on him and his mom about staying with sweaty clothes on because he works out and he wants to sit on the couch for a little bit and then he'll take a shower like after probably 30 minutes or an hour. And I tell him, I said, he's not helping with your back acne. Well, you're right. Actually, you're you're 100% right. Moms are always right. No mom is ever wrong, right, Carl? That's right. Moms are, are never right. wrong. <laughs> you know, I had a doctor who said, who said, one mother has worked two pediatricians. That's what, he, that's, that's what he said. That's the formula. So the answer is maybe he doesn't want to take off his clothes. Maybe he doesn't want to put on another shirt because it's going to get sweaty. So you may actually go and get him, like, not a, not a robe, but a dashiki or something that he can put on after he exercises that is lightweight that'll let his body kind of you know breathe you know he also he's tired afterwards but you're right he's got to get that sweat off of his body that's critical perfect thank you so much dr zorba you're welcome thanks for your call appreciate it okay thank you thanks for that call at 800-462-7413 that's 1-800-462-7413 All right, Zorba, our first topic of the day. Let's talk about some new research on medical cannabis and some relief from cancer pain, opioid use, et cetera. Yeah, well, uh, there are are a couple of things, first of all, politically that I want to talk about with cannabis. So cannabis was put in the same category as heroin, uh, and it was done for a number of reasons, but it was done stupidly. Uh, Cannabis is not the same as heroin. If you smoke a joint, it's not the same as injecting heroin. They're really two different drugs. And cannabis is really more, in my mind, in the category of alcohol. We know it's commonly we use. I think there are 38 states or more that use it medically. A bunch of states are using that. Yet the federal government, in its infinite stupidity, has kept it in the same place because I don't know why. You know, If I try to inside political heads, I can't find out what's there. And this is not a political show. But nonetheless, medical cannabis should be available in every single state in the union. Why? People don't die of medical cannabis. 100,000 people died of opioid disorder, substance abuse disorder, either from fentanyl or opioids that are simply sitting around the house. And every single cancer survivor or cancer, somebody who has cancer or chronic pain should be given the option of legally getting cannabis to see if it works for them. Because this particular study shows that it works for some people. So they took, this was in Canada, they took about 350 people uh, with, who had a number of uh, cancer problems, uh, and they wanted to find out where, if they had pain. They took opioids, produced nausea, produced constipation. That's a big issue with opioids, especially with older people, produces constipation. They couldn't drive their car and so on. So they were really upset, and they weren't getting the effect of opioids that they wanted, and they were getting the side effects. So half took a THC-balanced cannabis, some took CBD more dominated, and they looked at whether or not they actually got relief from their pain. And the bottom line was many of them did. Not all of them did, but many of them did. And so I think anyone with chronic pain, especially anyone with chronic pain from surgery or from, uh, or from cancer, should be given the option of actually using medical cannabis. Now, I mention it because in our state of Wisconsin, we don't have that option. People have to cross the line and go into Beloit, get it, bring it back, and then they're doing something illegal because it's illegal in our state, or cross the line to go to Minnesota once again. It's illegal, so they're bringing back something illegally. And the reality is younger people are much more likely to do that than older people. There are older people who say, well, I'm not going to try it. I have pain. 
I have chronic pain. I have pain from cancer, but I'm not going to take it because it's not legal. And I go, well, it's legal in another state if you live there. But the answer is they're going to use their own decision. It should be legal in every state in the country. It should be regulated just like we we regulate alcohol, just like we regulate opioids. And this is an important part in reducing opioid use in this country. Now, are we substituting one drug for another? Of course we are. But we're actually substituting a safer medication. 1-800-462-7413. That's 800-462-7413. Leave a voicemail anytime. And speaking of voicemails... We have one right now. This is a listener in the state of Georgia. Hey, Dr. Sorba. I have been dealing with uh, general anxiety disorder and depression my entire life and recently got uh, diagnosed as SSRI intolerant and uh, got prescribed an SNRI. I was just hoping you could uh, talk about the differences. Thank you. Uh, first of all, they're antidepressants. So they're sort of, they're there are a number of antidepressants in different groups. So the drug bupropion is in a group by itself. It's, it's an atypical, meaning it's in a separate group. The SSRIs were very well tolerated, Prozac being the main one, Paxil, Sertraline, which is Zoloft. That's an SSRI, Selective Serotonin Reuptake Inhibitor. Once again, it works with serotonin in the brain, so it increases serotonin, and it works. Now, why do these things actually work? We don't really understand. I mean, we understand part of why they work, but we don't really understand it. You know, that's how it goes. But an SNRI is a selective norepinephrine reuptake inhibitor. And uh, there are two classic drugs in that class. Cymbalta is one of the drugs, and venlafaxine is the other drug, which is the older drug. And for some people, they tolerate it. Those are actually better for chronic pain than the SSRIs. Uh, they have different effects and different side effects. Uh, and then there are other set called tricyclic antidepressants. Now, it's really important. Do you ever suffer from anxiety? Oh, uh, mild. Yeah, sure. Yeah, yeah. Can you imagine having anxiety every day getting up in the morning? That would be awful. No. That would be awful. Yeah. You know, you know, Brad, do you ever suffer from anxiety? Same as Carl. Yeah, same as Carl. You know, with purpose. You know, there's something you're anxious about. Something's going on with your kid mm -hmm. or your family. But some people just wake up in the morning and they suffer from anxiety. Right. And then, and then uh, basically the object they're thinking about then becomes the anxious object. Like, am I going to make it to work on time? I'm in traffic. I might be five minutes late. But there's nothing important at work. And they wake up. Antidepressants are great for general anxiety. Mm -hmm. And they're much better than the benzodiazepines. You know what the benzos are? Uh, remind me. I've heard of them. Xanax. Okay. Valium being the benzo of mm -hmm. choice. When I went to medical school, Xanax was was uh, was basically advertised to doctors, and they would advertise for women. Women take Valium four times a day, and you'll feel better. You won't have anxiety. Right. It was way overprescribed. Totally overprescribed. Yeah. And the problem with benzos is they're habit forming. They're addictive for some people, habit forming for others. Antidepressants are not. So I have a recommendation. First of all, to this person, there is a difference. He did not tolerate the SSRI. He tolerated the SNRI. There are a number of antidepressants that work. If one doesn't work, try another one. If one doesn't work, it may be because you're not at the optimal dose, and some people need two. But if you've got generalized anxiety disorder, there is help for you medically 90% of the time. And that is the bottom line. Now, Zorba, when did these drugs first become available? When were they invented? And what was used before well, these? Well, I'll tell you something. This is the whole story. So during the time of Freud, during the time of psychoanalysis, they thought if you have anxiety, you've got to get back. You've got to spend lots of time with a psychoanalysis, spend lots of money, and come up to the id and the ego and the superego and find your feelings. So antidepressants were called mood elevators, and they came in line, and they basically got invented in the early 1960s. And when do you think psychiatrists started using them? Started in the early 1960s. Guess. Right away or no? Not? No. They waited. No. They didn't believe in them. Okay. They thought, no, these drugs don't have any use. And they did not use them 
They did not become online in common use for about 8 to 10 years. And it turned out there were lots of people with catatonic depression, a quote, and they were often called nervous breakdown Mm -hmm. in in facilities because psychiatrists refused to try tricyclic antidepressants, the first ones that were involved. And it was actually primary care doctors who started using them who said, wait a minute, guys, these things are very useful. And the psychiatrist who was stuck in Freudian analysis did not embrace it. And I want to leave that with the bottom line. Doctors are often conservative and don't want to try new remedies. And if you have a doctor and you think there may be something new that you discovered on the net and that doctor said, I don't know anything about it or I don't want to use it, that's the time to get a second opinion. Do you think perhaps why doctors are so conservative about new products, new medicines is because of the decades, maybe even century of all the like quackery and snake oil oh, and I all think these that, things they've you know, read about I for think years. That, I think that definitely, okay. I think that definitely plays a role. You know, you don't want to be, you often don't want to be the first guy, the first man, the first woman to actually start something. You want to get a little coverage in right. case things go south. Yeah, they go yeah, bad. You are right. <laughs> 800-462-7413. That's the number to call anytime. Leave us a message. That's 1-800-462-7413. All right, before we take a quick break, Zorba, let's check in with your favorite hand raisers and do-gooders. This is the Grammar Police. Oh, no, it's the Grammar Police. That is beautiful. (laughs) Thank you. Thank you very much. (laughs) Actually, all right, Zorba, we're going to hear from what is arguably the most meticulous faction within the Grammar Police. Who do you think they are? What is, they're the punctuation police. Oh, that, right, they're right next to them. This is the pronunciation <laughs> oh, police. Oh, the pronunciation But yeah, police, you're right. The right. punctuation, they're even <laughs> they're, I mean, meticulous. Come on, come on, you know. All right. Uh, the following infraction came via a voicemail. This is from Barbara in Verona, Wisconsin. I have to tell you, every time I hear Zorba on his show say the, the, the bi- microbiome, I cringe and I just wonder where in <laughs> heck he got that pronunciation. If he listens to public radio, he will hear multiple other shows pronouncing the word correctly. Microbiome, microbiome, biome is something that doesn't exist. It's the microbiome. That last E is silent. I don't know who told him to pronounce it, <laughs> but he's totally off the mark. Please. Stop, Zorba, stop. I turn you off every time I hear you say that. Actually, Barbara's really you know, she's up. really upset with this. But actually, there's something very interesting. This is a new word, and it's a new word in our vocabulary. And actually, if you look at, um, I'm, I'm just finishing a wonderful book on linguistics, and that word is coming into usage, and how it's actually pronounced is not, there's no correct way or incorrect way. So sometimes it's pronounced microbiome, mm-hmm. and sometimes it's pronounced microbiome, and they're fighting with one another. They're battling. Biome, biome. Biome, this is like biome. VHS and beta. Who's but gonna win? Do you who's think? gonna win? You know something? It is like VHS and beta. <laughs> and we'll see. I'm betting on biome. She's betting on biome. <laughs> Does, <laughs> thanks, Barbara. We love it. Does Zorba repeatedly mispronounce a word on the program? And I do. Biomine. <laughs> the, let us know. Biomines. Biomines. Oh my goodness. Oh my I tried. Goodness. I really know, tried on your that. Your brain one. works in strange and circuitous awful. ways. <laughs> How do you, you pronounce that one right? All right, just uh, post on our Facebook page, or you can always send us an email at Zorba at WPR.org or through Facebook. There you go. We have more of your calls to come. Zorba will answer more of your emails, and we'll be putting together some tasty Cobb salad wraps. Mm. All that coming up on Zorba Pastor on Your Health from PRX. Carl Christensen filling in for Tom Clark on Zorba Pastor on Your Health. And if you want to call with a question, 800-462-7413 is the number. Call anytime. That's 800-462-7413. But before we get back to those calls, 
Zorba, the recipe. What are we talking about here? Cobb's salad wrap. Now, do you ever order a Cobb salad? I've never in my life ordered a Cobb salad. Gotta order a Cobb salad. I should someday. You gotta get you gotta get that. And you gotta get and there are good Cobb salads and bad Cobb salads. And I happen to like Cobb Cobb salads. Good Cobb, bad Cobb? Well, Good cop, bad cop. God, you know, I never, I never thought about that. Yeah, you know, your brain is so weird and funky. It's awful. You know, good cop, bad cop. But there really are differences. And the history has nothing to do with, with Thai cop at all. Okay, the good. history has to do with the Brown Derby. The Brown Derby, the history is, it was late one night. The owner of the Brown Derby was there. It was 1 o'clock or 2 o'clock in the morning. And I can't remember. There was some famous person who came in That's and a Los said, Angeles restaurant, right? <clears throat> totally. Yeah. Los, with, a, with a Brown Derby on the top of right, it. Right, I've We're seen a picture about the of that. 19, yeah. The 1930s, they wanted to something to eat. Now, here's where the controversy comes in. The owner said he went into the back. His name was Cobb, by the way. Sure. He didn't cobble together. Not things. Ty Cobb, but no, like Bob Cobb, Cobb or Bill Cobb. Or, yeah, his name was Cobb. And he cobbled together. That's not where cobbled comes <laughs> in. A salad with the leftovers that were there and brought it out. Okay. And the guy looked at it, whoever it was, and said, this is delicious. Mm-hmm. And then they started serving it. Now, the controversy comes in the fact that the chef who was in back said, he didn't do that. I did it. Oh. So it should be called Cobb salad. It should be called, I don't remember what Chef Chef's Smith, name. a Smith Sh- salad. So it shouldn't be called that. So that's where the controversy is. And the Cobb salad, if you go and you look up Cobb salad, it has very specific things. Right. But then there are variations. And there are some, co- it comes out, if it comes out correctly, it's beautiful on a plate. It's the way it's displayed on a plate. A lot of color, plate. right? But we, a lot of color, a yeah. lot of different tastes, but we have a Cobb salad wrap, which is different. So anyone who likes Cobb salad, you got to try this. And okay. if you've never, by the way, had a regular Cobb salad at a restaurant, treat yourself. I will. It's a wonderful meal. Are you ready? I'm ready. Let's hear it. A head of butter lettuce. One head of butter lettuce. Does right. it have to be butter lettuce? It's got to be a butter lettuce. Okay. Because it's got to be able, you've got to be able to wrap it. You've got to be able to, you know, be right. able to, it wraps you know, well. not fall apart. Okay. Seven ounces of chicken tenders. Seven ounces chicken tenders. Six slices of crisp bacon crumbled. If you don't want to use bacon, you don't have to, but that's part of a traditional cob salad. Six slices crisped bacon crumbled. Three hard-boiled eggs, white and yolk chopped separately. Okay, you're going to take out the yolk, chop it out, take out the white, chop it. All right, three hard-boiled eggs, white and yolk chopped separately. Two ounces of blue cheese crumbled. Two ounces blue cheese crumbled. An avocado chopped and drizzled with lemon oil. One avocado chopped and drizzled with lemon juice. Fresh lemon juice on that? Fresh lemon juice. Okay. Never. Gotta if you're ever going to use uh, other stuff, you've got to use the frozen. But, okay. but fresh is always best. For Do you always have lemons in your refrigerator? We usually do, yeah. yeah. you got to have a lemon. We make, we make lemon. fizzy waters yeah, with lemons. Yeah. Uh, mm. I never do that. I got to try that. Uh, Four ounces of cherry tomatoes. Four ounces cherry tomatoes. If you can get chives, 14 sprigs of chives. I'll go next door to our neighbors and grab some chives from Elizabeth. There we go. Now, for (laughs) the dressing, here's the dressing. Quarter cup olive oil. One quarter cup olive oil. Two tablespoonfuls of red wine vinegar. Two big tea red wine vinegar. Two teaspoons of Dijon mustard. And if you don't have it, go next door to Elizabeth and get it from her. <laughs> two, two little tea Dijon mustard. I'll two, try that. Two, two teaspoons of lemon juice. You're still getting it from her. <laughs> okay. She's got, a, she's got a whole grocery store over there. Two little tea lemon juice. Half teaspoon of salt. Half little tea salt. Eighth teaspoon of grated garlic. One eighth teaspoon grated garlic. And some black pepper. Black pepper to taste. Okie doke. We're going to make it. It is a little complex, so this is not for the faint of hearts. Okay. Are those romaine hearts or not? (laughs) (laughs) So soak the butter lettuce in a bowl of cold water to crisp it while you prepare the other ingredients. Now, add four cups of water along with two teaspoons of salt and a little saucepan. Bring it to boil. Add the chicken. When it comes to boil, turn it off. Let the chicken poach for a little bit while when it's done. Just make sure it's okay. Plunge it into cold water to stop it from cooking. So first thing you're going to do, cook the chicken. Now you're going to prepare all of that other ingredients and you're going to make the dressing. So here's what you do. You line... The chicken, bacon, egg whites, egg yolks, blue cheese, avocado, tomatoes on each leaf of lettuce, okay? Okay. So you're going to kind of line it up in line. You're not going to mix it together. You're lining it up. That's the key. Drizzle it from dressing for some dressing. And then with the dressing, roll it. And you've got each lettuce cup together. And if you want to, put some chives on top of it. That sounds great. It's wonderful. And if you want a copy of it, go to our website at zorbapastor.org. That's zorbapastor.org or through Facebook.
800-462-7413. That's the number to call anytime. That's 1-800-462-7413. We have a caller now on the line. This is a caller in Lindhurst, New Jersey. Hi. Hello, everybody. What an honor to be on the show. Long-time listener, first-time caller. Thanks oh, for having thank me. Thank you. Thank you for your call. Appreciate it. How can we help you? So, Doc, I had a, uh, a question about something called erythritol. Are you familiar with what that is? It's a quote-unquote natural sweetener. Right. right. So I had seen in a news article recently that they had finally done some studies that it's showing it's bad for cardiovascular health. And, uh, I think it was done by the Mayo Clinic. Now, unfortunately, in the details that I read in the study, it didn't say the amount of erythritol in a mm-hmm. person's body, if mm-hmm. it was good or bad. But the reason I ask is, it was never something I even thought about, but then it turns out this quote-unquote uh, organic vegan protein powder I've been taking for, uh, I hate to say it, for a few years actually uh-huh. has it, and it's about five grams of erythritol. Hmm. And I don't know if, based on any recent studies, if you know anything about it, if that's something... I mean, I cut it out of my diet. I just don't know if I may have done any harm to my body, and I'm wondering what you oh, sure. think. Uh, well, first of all, let's look overall on what sort of what science is. So we initially start out, we look at things, and we go, well, we wonder whether or not something has an effect or a side effect. So if Mayo Clinic comes out with an initial study that shows maybe this is not good for your body. That doesn't mean that it's not good for your body. In other words, it's like one study. It has to be reproduced. It has to go into other studies, and it has to be looked at. On the other hand, when you're in a consumer and you're looking at any industrialized product, and anytime you buy anything in a bottle, it's an industrialized product. You know what I mean? It's not a it's not a natural product because somebody's putting it together, making it, and then you actually you then actually are consuming it. So. I don't, and, and, and the other thing about it is our body does a good job of adjusting to what we eat. So there really are not a lot of things in our body that actually over time our body can't sort of push to the side and get rid of. So the fact is, even though you consume this for a number of years, the chances that it actually causes any permanent damage, not knowing anything about, I've not read the studies, I've heard about it tangentially, but not knowing anything about it, the chances are probably fairly slim. So it's one of those things that you periodically want to keep track of. And so the way to look at this and to keep track of it for you is, Carol, have you ever used Google Scholar? Not, I, no, I have not. Brad, have you ever used Google Scholar? You've never heard never of it. Heard Go of to it Google. You write down Google Scholar. Sure. You're in a different part of Google, and you're now in where you can see scientific studies. Oh, okay. And in Google Scholar, you write what you're interested in, and you will then pull out the NIH articles from uh, basically the National Institute of Health, among other things, with other stuff. And they're published research articles, and then you could do your own research. Okay. And that's what I would look at for this particular thing, because one study from Mayo Clinic does not mean it's the beginning and the end. It means... Kind of. It's only the beginning. Now, why were you using it in the first place? You were just concerned separately to use it or because no, of what I, you were taking? Uh, mostly just um, – I'm, I'm mostly plant-based diet and I mm-hmm. just you know, make sure I get my protein, yeah. like beans and legumes and yeah. all that good stuff. But, you yeah. know, I got my extra 20 grams of protein and it was supposedly – I won't name the company right, right there, but sure. it was supposedly um, – you know, organic, so you don't even think about it. And then everything I'd read on erythritol said it originally that it, I guess that's why I have the question because all the original verbiage and, and mm-hmm. uh, literature was that it was safe. Mm-hmm. And then all of a sudden this came out. So I just thought maybe it did say you could have one gram per kilogram of well, body weight. I, so I guess you know, not, you know, know, I basically think these are safe because, you know, th- you know, that's one of the brands of Stevia. But but the issue is when we look at artificial sweeteners, one of the things that, that presently is really common within, uh, within the medical community is, here it is, it's sweet, but it doesn't give us calories. But it may key something else in the brain that says, I'm looking for the calories, so we then eat more calories later on. Because the rise in artificial sweeteners has paralleled the rise in obesity in this country. In other words, you look at the use of artificial sweeteners and you look at obesity and it's literally almost a one-on-one correlation. So do artificial sweeteners cause us to eat more food somewhere else? And the answer is maybe it does. So maybe you're better off actually having a product that has sugar in it because you're getting the sweetness and you're getting the calories and then you just eat less of it. That's the bottom line. 
right. I just wanted to make sure I didn't bring up that word, and you're like, no, get it out of your body. No, 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 no. No, I wouldn't say that, so. Okay, great. All right. Well, thank you. Thanks so much for your call. Appreciate you taking my time. Thanks, Doc. Thanks. Bye-bye. Thanks so much for that call at 800-462-7413. That's 1-800-462-7413. Let's now go to a voicemail. This is a listener in the state of Wisconsin. I was just listening to your podcast and you were talking about uh, ulcer treatment, uh, basically the omeprazole and uh, associated drugs. You didn't mention antibiotics. And my recollection is that uh, several years back, 25 years ago or so, a couple of guys from Australia got a Nobel Prize for determining that an infection was the primary cause of ulcers. And I'm wondering if that thinking has changed. I do not have ulcers, but I'm thinking that your listeners may need an addendum to your advice if my recollection is correct. He brings up a good point. So first of all, helicobacter pylori causes many ulcers, but but I want to go back just a couple steps. Most people who take PPIs, such as Prilosec, or take uh, other drugs, such as H2 blockers, such as Zantac or Famotidine, well, Zantac now is Famotidine, are doing it for GERD. A lot of people do it for GERD. Some people are doing it for ulcers, and it helps. Ulcers are often caused either by an infection with helicobacter pylori, in which case you take a serious of antibiotics to get rid of it, and often caused by drugs you're taking, such as aspirin and anti-inflammatories, the true ulcer. But most, but you can't tell if you've got Helicobacter pylori unless you have, uh, see a gastroenterologist, they do a gastroscope and they actually do, uh, they actually do a, a, a biopsy of your stomach. Or you get other tests, such as something called a breath test where you can find it, or a stool test. But you have to go to the doctor, actually the doctor has to suspect it's a significant ulcer. For most people, simply taking those medications work. Many of them do have helicobacter pylori. The body may heal itself, but for some of it where the drugs do not seem to work, then really those are the ones that we often biopsy and test. He brings up a good point, helicobacter. And he's right. These guys got the Nobel Prize. Guess how they found actually, that it was an infection. I can't even guess. Come on. you got to guess. Come on. Take a guess. Guess what they did. The guy in Australia, it wasn't two guys. It was one guy in Australia. He thought that bacteria caused a stomach infection. And the, the, uh, the powers to be said, no, it wasn't caused by bacteria. It was caused by other things. And guess what he did? Come on. Take a guess. I, does it have something to do with Australia? And no, it had nothing to do with Australia. <laughs> okay. I'll tell you what he did. He took the bacteria that he found in stomachs because he was a gastroenterologist. He made a, a solution of it and swallowed it himself. Oh, wow. And then he had somebody do a gastroscope on him, and they found an ulcer in his stomach, and it was filled with the helicobacter. He's experimenting and, on himself. Exactly, and he got the Nobel Prize for it. And wow. he actually did a tremendous amount because ulcers that could not be cured are now cured with antibiotics. People with serious ulcer problems. Yeah, the guy. Wow. The guy was brilliant. Is that reckless? As a doctor, and reckless. I'm trying to think of the word. I was going to say dumb. It wasn't dumb. Brilliant and reckless. Yeah, yeah. I don't know what else he did in his life. Maybe he was a motorcycle driver with fast motorcycles. Who knows? But it was reckless. Have you experimented I, on yourself? Never. Ever? Are you kidding? With something like an aliquot of a bacterial infection? Not in my life. <laughs> That's the number to call anytime. But before the break, Zorba, it's time for the segment where an honest-to-Pete doctor, that's you, Zorba, right? You take on the mighty internet. This this is Google Doc. How about that? The following email came from John who lives in Hutchinson, Kansas. John writes, Hi, Doc. I've had a low platelet count, 135 to 145, Mm -hmm. for three years now, Uh but I am otherwise a healthy Mm -hmm. 75-year-old male. Mm -hmm. An oncologist monitors my blood every six months but has no idea why I have this oddity. Right. I've done considerable online research I at bet. reputable medical sites. Absolutely. And there are, that's all we have on the web. That's all we got. Reputable medical sites. That's and right. there are several studies that link blood disorders yes. 
with artificial sweeteners. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. Aspartame, yeah. or as yeah. you say, aspartame, mm-hmm. and even stevia being possible suspects. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. I have mostly eliminated mm-hmm. these chemicals from my diet, but the numbers don't increase. Yeah. Any mm-hmm. thoughts, or is it just maybe idiopathic, as my oncologist has suggested? Mm-hmm. Thanks. You can't beat good medical advice oh, delivered it. with a laugh or two. I love it. This former broadcaster <laughs> salutes <laughs> you and your crew. Oh, thank you. We got a salute. Thank you. I got a salute. You know, from a broadcaster. You know something? From a broadcaster. That means they're listening to the tone of our voice. Yeah. He may not be listening to what we have to say, but how we say it. How we say it. <laughs> I bet he's got notes for me. <laughs> uh, the answer is he probably has idiopathic lower platelets. And these are numbers that we look at where some people have lower platelets and it has meaning. In other words, they've got a medical problem. Some people, it's just a variation of normal. Now, as for caused by artificial sweeteners, I don't think there's any good evidence that artificial sweeteners actually reduce platelets. I think a lot of that, it's not necessarily junk science. I just don't think it's reliable. And there isn't reliable research that shows that that's the case. So if you want to stop artificial sweeteners, I'm for that. I don't think we should really take them. They are a chemical. But I don't think they're causing his low platelet count. And But it was wonderful that he loves the way my voice sounds when I'm talking on the air. Do you hear that vibrating phone in the background? I bet John and Hutchinson, the former broadcaster, is going to say, hey, I hear a vibrating phone. <laughs> These are some good microphones oh, it we is? have. It is a vibrating phone. I got it. All right. All right. We'll keep doing the show, okay. though, Zorba. <laughs> have a healthy living question for Zorba? Just post on our Facebook page or send us an email at Zorba at WPR.org. More of your calls to come. We have another topic to discuss, and Zorba will be answering more of those emails All of that coming up on Zorba Pastor on Your Health from PRX, the public radio exchange. Carl Christensen filling in for Tom Clark on Zorba Pastor on Your Health. The number to call anytime is 800-462-7413. That's 1-800-462-7413. But before we get back to our call, Zorba, what do we got here? We're talking about AI and how it's used now in the medical field. Well, how it's going to be used, going to be used okay. in the medical field. So have you used it? I've used that. There's a tool, ChatGPT, mm-hmm. that gets a lot of headlines right. these days. I've used it a little bit. One yeah. time I, I asked it to write me, you know, people say, write a song or, you know, write me an email. And? I asked it to write me a song about and? eating a pretzel in a mall. Uh-huh. <laughs> and it, within a few seconds, just spat out a whole song with multiple verses and choruses about eating a pretzel in a mall. Uh, <laughs> no, pretty amazing. It was incredible. No, no, I couldn't believe amazing. it. And a lot of it rhymed, and there was like the song structure was pretty decent. No, it's, I, was, it, I was surprised. Uh, it's an amazing tool. <laughs> there was an article in the New York Times recently uh, talking about how we should really look at ChatGPT as an assistant, as if we had an automatic assistant. And I think this will fit into our lives in a similar way that Google has. I okay. mean, I don't go to the library. First right. of all, I pull my books down on Amazon. That's what I do. Or frankly, I order books online unless I happen to be in a wonderful a place where there's an independent bookstore. No, if there's a local bookstore, I'll go there. But if if I'm looking at something and I'm interested in it, I'll pull it on or I listen to it on Audible. Audible hasn't stopped me from reading books. Amazon has stopped me from does not stop me from sending books. ChatGPT is going to be part of our lives. Okay. Now I have used it with a couple of things. So first of all, I like to give lectures and I was very interested in setting up, you know, a flyer, you know, like an advertising flyer that right. I for like an event or something. For my event event of getting a longevity lecture. And normally it would take me about two to three hours to really figure out what I'm going to say. I would edit it and look at it. I put it in chat GPT three different times and 90% of what I was going to say was written in a format that I could use. So I could take it down, put it in my Word document, 
bang, all of a sudden, I had what I wanted to have with edits. Then I was very interested in seeing if this would work for a medical note. You know, when I'm doing a medical note on a patient, I've got to write something, I've got to send, I've got to maybe put in this particular patient. I had to put in probably about 120 words Mm -hmm. to actually explain what I was doing. I put in five or six words in chat GPT, the pluses and the minuses, medical notes, swelling, no rash, and out popped a note that had 95% of the words that I would have had to type. I had to go through and curate that note, you know, add the right things that are in there, right side, left side. Mm -hmm. But the note kept me from having to type 100 words. Gotcha. That's remarkable. What are the things that burn out physicians, nurse practitioners, and PAs today? It's not seeing patients. We love seeing patients. It's the paperwork. The administrative which is, stuff. Believe me. And it's something called pajama time where people – it's called pajama time. <laughs> That's the term. That. You've never – you're no. not a doctor, are you? <laughs> pajama so. time is because you go home and you take things at home and you're doing your work sometimes in your pajamas. It's oh, called okay. pajama time. Yeah. And sometimes it can be an hour or two hours a night. Chat GPT is going to change that because as it gets used to what we want and what we use, it's going to be a major force. So it will start to reduce the work, which will reduce the pajama time that I have, which will stop burnout. Burnout in primary care has a lot to do with the administrative stuff we have to do, not with our patient. And Chat GPT is our friend. Now, some people listening might say, wait a second, wait a second here. We're mixing artificial intelligence with the medical indus- industry and, you know, doctors' expertise. Yeah, of course. Would, some of course might ask, are. would this take a are. human element out of Not out at of all. The, Not at doctoring? all. I still have to curate this, and I'll give you a perfect example. You go into a restaurant. If you go into a restaurant and there are 10 pages of things that you can order, mm-hmm. what do you do? It's a little overwhelming. It's overwhelming. <laughs> if you go into a restaurant and it's got two pages, right. is it overwhelming? No. The restaurant with two pages has curated what you're looking at. Mm -hmm. Medical care is going to be the same way. If you do stuff in Google, you do stuff on ChatGPT, you're going to get a lot of garbage. Mm -hmm. What you do need is you still need a human to look at what you need to say, I think this is a good idea, and I think that's your problem. And frankly, the art of medicine is never going to go away. It's always going to be there. But the technology is improving with ChatGPT. Interesting stuff. 800-462-7413. That's 1-800-462-7413. All right, back to the phones. Let's help out a caller in Buffalo, New York. Hi. Hi, how are you? Good. How can we help today? Well, I have um, a little bit of a question for uh, Dr. Passer. I have uh, two doctors disagreeing on what I should or shouldn't do. Oh, Um, that's always a good time, isn't it? (laughs) <laughs> yeah, so, so you're the you're, you're the decider here. Um, Judge Zorba, here we Judge go. Judge Zorba, you don't have Where's my gavel? Wait a minute. That's there all you is. need is a fist. There it is. <laughs> so about um, two years ago, I was diagnosed with very very low ejection fraction, mm-hmm. and at the time, so you have to explain ejection symptoms- fraction. On an echo, so it's on an echo, our, our heart has, let's say, we've got 100% of blood in our heart when our heart fills up. It doesn't fill up completely, but pretty good. So the ejection fraction is how much of that blood that's in, especially the left ventricle, how much of that is pushed out into the body. And a number 60% and above is considered to be normal. Okay, so that's, that's an issue. And we find it under an echo. So go ahead, echocardiogram. So I was actually training for a triathlon. I'm 59 years old now and have been very active and pretty healthy for, for most of my life. And what I found was I was getting increasingly fatigued and, and even, you know, more so than, than usual. So after some, some a number of tests, it, uh, the doctor determined that my ejection fraction was between 25 and 30%. Wow, that, um, is, that yeah, is low. Right, and very, very idiopathic. I mean, he had right. absolutely no idea what caused it. So, huh. After a while, he put me on Entresto, Mm -hmm. and that seemed to help a little bit, but then he wanted to get me on Sotolol, Mm -hmm. um, because what was happening was I was having um, clustered of PVCs, Uh and and the PVCs, you know, the heart murmur was... I, I, according to the working theory was that was leading to the weakness of the heart and low infection fraction. And your symptoms were basically fatigue and being tired. Well... 
until the, the PVC started becoming more and more clustered. And then at Got one it. point, okay. um, at one point I was wearing a 24 hour monitor mm-hmm. and I was feeling frankly, real dizzy. Like I was going to pass out. And okay. sure enough, the doctor called me the night I turned in the monitor and said, you're coming in first thing tomorrow morning and we're going to implant an ICD. So an internal uh-huh. uh, cardio right. defibrillator right. that's also helping pace my heart. So, right. okay. um, yeah. So the soda So, so you've got that in your you've got that in your heart right now, correct? The ICD. I do. Yep. Okay. Yeah. Got it. Um, yeah. So really, so for the past two years, I've mm-hmm. started to feel better and better. My sure. ejection fraction is slowly going up. Mm-hmm. And where my doctors okay. disagree, um, my primary care physician says that I can get back to racing and being um, as, as active as I was before. My cardiologist is less enthusiastic about it. So I'm trying to figure out now, now that I feel better and I've got this device and the medication seems to be working, um, how, how active I can go back to being. So I want to go back. Are you on the Sotolo, by the way? Yes. Okay. So I just want to sort of put this together. So first of all, uh, you're symptomatic. You're 59, otherwise healthy, like to jog, like to do things. Uh, You've got an implantable pacemaker because you needed to be paced, and you were having too many PVCs, and they were worried that all of a sudden you were going to go to V-fib, which can be curtains. So that's why you've got the implantable pacemaker. Sotolol is a type of a beta blocker where you have to be very careful. It's to regulate the heart. It's quite often used to uh, keep people out of atrial fibrillation, and it also works for PVCs, but you've got to be in the hospital when they do it initially to make sure you don't have another cardiac problem that can kill you. Called It's French, and it's called torsades de points, but of course, I can't pronounce it correctly. You but basically, it. But basically, that goes into ventricular fibrillation and can kill you. So that's why you've got to go in the hospital. They look at your EKG. They look at essentially what's happening with uh, what's happening between the atrium and the ventricle when it actually is uh, when it's actually charging. And once you're safely on it, you're safely on it. The issue is, can you exercise? So your primary care doctor says, sure. Your cardiologist says, no. You need to to see a cardiologist, a different cardiologist that specializes in cardiac arrhythmias. That's what you need. Because the question is, I don't know whether or not with this beta blocker, that will do anything at all. And if I wanted to exercise and I wanted to do things, I wouldn't stop with one. I would go to a different uh, electrophysiological cardiologist. I would go to a specialty clinic, maybe at the University of Buffalo, or I would go to a multi-specialty clinic. And I would say, why can't I exercise? Show me the data that shows it's not good for me. That's what I would do. But I wouldn't put it off because I frankly think you're probably it's probably a good idea for you to exercise. That's what I think. But I don't want to give you that advice because you've got an implantable pacemaker. You're on Sotolol. You're a complicated case. So you need somebody yeah. <laughs> who really can give you a good answer. But I wouldn't stop. And I feel, I'm more with the family doc and saying, show me why I can't exercise. And I wouldn't go with a cardiologist and say, well, I don't think it's a good idea. I'd say, show me the data. That's what I would do. Terrific. All Good right. luck. Second that. opinion. Okay. Thank you so much. Take care. Thanks for the call at 800-462-7413. That's 1-800-462-7413. All right. Let's go to a voicemail now. This is a listener in Black Creek, Wisconsin. I noticed that people with peanut allergies don't have the reaction from boiled peanuts. And I'm curious, is, it, is there a possibility that the uh, insecticides or pesticides are boiled out of the peanut, and that's why uh, they don't have a reaction. Thanks a bunch. Now, real quick, Zorba, this one was interesting to me because I have a, I'm allergic to apples, but only raw apples. Like huh. my, my tongue will swell up, my, my really? throat will close apples. up, but okay. I can have processed apple products like apple juice, applesauce, apple oh, that's pie very, if that's it's very been cooked. Interesting. So the processing, I don't think it has anything to do with insecticides. Okay. But I think it has to do with what's going on. I mean, when we 
when we heat food, we change food. Mm-hmm. You know, when we heat animal protein, for instance, it then becomes more digestible. In other words, raw steak, if you were to eat it, is not really very digestible in our stomach, whereas steak that is actually cooked is. And it's the same with, with foods. So often they, they do change the structure. Um, I'm not sure about this peanut thing. So first of all, you know, some people have a mild reaction to peanuts. Some people have a major reaction to peanuts. We now know that peanut products introduced early to a child, and we know that from an Israeli project called Bamba, which you can buy in Trader Joe's, among other places, uh, introduced to a baby as soon as they can actually, uh, you know, it's kind of melts. It's sort of like a Cheeto. We know that reduces the chances that you're going to actually become peanut allergic when you're an adult. It's a big issue because up to 3% of adults in the West, Western countries, are peanut sensitive, whereas it doesn't happen in countries uh, throughout Africa, which are not as highly developed as developed countries. And we now know it's because in those countries, peanuts are introduced earlier. Now, there's a question. Well, studies recently came out that you may be able to actually desensitize adults with oral boiled peanuts. Huh. In other words, it might actually help desensitize them, which is a big issue because if you look at processed foods, lots of things have peanuts in it. I do not recommend people who are highly allergic to peanuts to try this themselves. But I do recommend if you are peanut allergic and you want to get over your peanut allergy, that you go and see an allergist and see whether or not oral immunotherapy with peanuts will work for you so you can now become peanut desensitized. I don't think it's from, I don't think oral peanut issues are really because you're boiling away the insecticides, but I think we actually may be able to treat peanut allergies. That's really good for people who have that problem. 800-462-7413. That's 1-800-462-7413. Call us anytime and leave a message. Anytime. 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 Any message. Anytime. Good message, bad message. Medium we message. love them all. Media message. Yeah. Media message. Media. <laughs> Before we call it today, Zorba. <laughs> or a night. <laughs> we we got to go. Or a we month. Gotta, we got to leave here. Yeah, here you go. Yeah. Uh, we love it when our lovely listeners love chime it. in. With chime a in. healthy living tip. For the show, the following email came from Lori in Edmond, Oklahoma. Lori writes, Zorba, it was interesting to hear today that you are a great fan of the Bee Gees. I am. You're a big Bee Gees guy. I love it. Astute listeners will Mm -hmm. not be surprised by this. (laughs) After all, consider the references to medical matters often made in their songs. For example, Lori says, Night Fever. (laughs) <laughs> Staying alive. That's a big one, right? <laughs> Lori goes on. And of course, their lovely romantic ballad that I'm sure you have playing in your office when you're conducting certain examinations. How deep is your glove? <laughs> That's good, Lori. <laughs> what do you think, Doc? Hey, you know, you know something? We've got to be careful because we're on the airwaves and we do not want the government coming after us. I feel us. like Lori's married to Weird Al Yankovic, maybe? Or knows him or a big fan, maybe? Do you have a helpful tip for the show? Maybe even just a music tip? We love music tips. Just post on our Facebook page or send us an email at... Staying alive, staying alive, staying alive. I'm certainly not going to make That's my money That's on our website. Sing. Zorba at WPR.org. See you next week, Zorba. I hope. Stay alive, Zorba. I'll try. If you missed anything during the show or you just want to stream the show online anytime, visit us on the web. Or sing Staying Alive, Staying Alive. There you go. I'm not going to make any money on that. Sing it just like Zorba did. (laughs) What's our website? (laughs) Zorba at WPR.org. Or Facebook anytime. Or Facebook. Don't forget you can call us anytime. Facebook Live, Facebook Live. Sorry. Call us at 800. Too much. We're having too much fun. Way too much fun. 800 462 7413. Call anytime and leave us a message. Anytime. Zorba Pastor on Your Health is a production of Wisconsin Public Radio. It Yay. is not intended as a medical diagnosis. That's so right. Please do check with your doc. Of course. Our executive producer is me, Carl Christensen. Absolutely. Our technical director is Brad Kohlberg. Hooray for Brad. He's trying to find Hooray the staying alive right now. He's trying to he's gonna pipe it in. <laughs> Our theme music is by Leo and Ben Sidron, Forever. not the Bee Gees. <laughs> for Zorba Pastor, I'm Carl Christensen asking you to join us on the next Zorba, Zorba Pastor. On your health.
Did you miss something on today's show? Simply go to zorbapastor.org to catch up on all things Zorba. There you will find recipes from the show, links to the Facebook page, Zorba's Healthy Living articles, and you can subscribe to the weekly podcast. On the web, that's zorbapastor.org.